Today's episode of Track and Food on the Mid-Range Podcast Network is brought to you by Scout. If you're wanting to learn more about Vancouver's food and cultural sphere with regards to community news, new restaurant openings, essential guides to some of the city's best offerings, as well as who's hiring, Scout is where you should go. You can find them at scoutmagazine.ca. That's scoutmagazine.ca. And if you're on Vancouver Island, they also have a sister website called Islandist. Same type of content, only island-driven. That's islandist.ca. We're proud to have Scout as our presenting sponsor, as we believe what they scout out is an excellent complement to what we're offering here on Track and Food. Do check them out. Once again, that's scoutmagazine.ca. Welcome to the Track and Food Podcast. You're joining us on a beautiful, beautiful April afternoon today. My name is Jamie Ma. I'm your host as always. And sadly, joining me, unfortunately, not once again, is my co-host, Mickey McLeod. He still is away with work and commitments like that. So we are doing this episode again, or I'm doing this episode again, as I should say, solo. But uh, yeah, I got a quite a good lot of good feedback from the last episode. I think I did a not too bad a job on my own. You know, it, it is it is hard to do life without Mickey McLeod. He is uh, he's pretty awesome. He likes to he likes to make me feel like I'm an idiot sometimes, which is uh, very true sometimes. But uh, yeah, today's episode is really cool. I'm really really excited to talk to you about this one. Um, this kind of, this episode kind of came to me last week um, by happenstance, maybe serendipity a little bit. Um, I was uh, emailed by a good friend of mine, Brandon Frederick. Uh, he was on the podcast uh, two episodes ago. He had uh, mentioned to me that I should check with this uh, young chef who is now back in Vancouver from New York. Now her name is Alex Sandoval. She's working at Le Crocodile. She's one of the chefs there. And he says that uh, she's someone I should look into and that uh, she has you know, someone that he admires. And um, he spoke very highly of her. And I was like, okay, so I'll look into this. But then um, ironically, that same day, uh, a good friend of mine, Jeff Coop, uh, was starting a new series on his Instagram feed talking about chef stories. And she was actually one of the chefs that he had um, called upon in this initial part of his series. And so I watched that and I just thought it was kind of interesting that uh, I'd never heard of this girl and that she'd kind of come on my radar in such a, such an interesting fashion so quickly. And so I checked it out and I checked out her Instagram and on her Instagram, she had this, um, this link to this uh, column that uh, she was kind of featured in uh, on Grub Street, which is a kind of a, it's part of New York magazine out in New York. And it was detailing this uh, restaurant that she used to work at uh, called Estella, which is a one Michelin star restaurants in New York. And um, she worked there. She was uh, one of the junior Sue's and uh, this column came out last year around April 13th. And so I'm recording this today on April 9th. And uh, by the time this episode comes out, it'll be around close to, you know, right before the one year anniversary of this column. And this uh, column was interesting. It talked about kind of the, you know, what it was like for people um, in New York City at that time. And for, you know, it touches on a lot of people who, everywhere in the world, who had to go through kind of the same thing of the, of the restaurant community in the sense of all of a sudden dealing with this new thing that just took over everyone's lives and kind of upended everyone's lives. And uh, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. It's a really uh, fascinating and uh, well-written um, piece. Um, it's, it's really long and it gives you a lot of depth and perspective of, kind of the emotions and the feelings and kind of the, a lot of the 
a lot of the tension and nervousness and, you know, all that stuff that people felt when they, when the pandemic first hit. And um, yeah, it's, it was something I was kind of drawn to because I feel like we're in this moment now, again, especially here in Vancouver, uh, we're under new restrictions, indoor dining is closed. Um, myself, I'm not working now for a bit. It looks like it's going to be a lot longer than the three week period that they've initially slated. Um, Alex works at uh, La Crocodile, so they're closed as well. So, you know, it's, 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 I wanted to get her perspective on what it was like to go through that experience living in New York city from Vancouver. You're kind of living your, your best life, you know, as a chef, your dream to work under a, a well renowned, a world renowned chef uh, and uh, great restaurants, Michelin star, you know, you're learning, you're, you're, you're really kind of advancing your craft to the point where, you know, you, you can eventually kind of build your own empire and uh, to have that ripped away and having to adjust to the adjustment to come back. I wanted to kind of hear her story, talk to her about this um, and yeah, get her perspective. Um, it's interesting in that piece, there's a couple of really good quotes that I wanted to highlight. Um, one, uh, so the, the owner of Estella is this uh, world-renowned chef name is Ignacio Matos. He's a Uruguayan chef. Um, he was named Esquire, Esquire's uh, chef of the year in 2017. Um, you know, uh, Estella, his restaurant that uh, Alex worked at was uh, rated one of the top 50 best restaurants in the world at one point. He says this one great quote in, in the piece. He says, I have to have a room for places where young, creative people can go. That kind of shit really bugs me. I feel a sense of duty to make this place accessible. And he's talking about, um, he's talking about just kind of what a restaurant should be and, and kind of the, the, the beauty of it. And uh, he talks about this other part. He says, I've always felt strongly, especially in a city like New York, that restaurants can become people's families. Um, actually, it's not even him who said this. Is one of his sommeliers, Kim Morton, says this. And uh, at Altro, to lose that and possibly not get it back, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's this whole kind of ethos that I've always kind of uh, touched upon in this podcast is kind of the community aspect of the restaurant community and the fact that, you know, it's, it's, well, I think we're realizing now how much it plays an integral part in everyone's lives. And uh, not only when it comes to the financial part of staying in business and pe employing people, but also just uh, the connection. And I think uh, it's unfortunate right now that we're still in that rips of a third wave. Um, but yeah, no, it was, this was a great conversation. We had a really good time. She's, she's very lovely, very candid, gave a lot of really good stuff. She's definitely a chef, which I loved. Um, and she, you can tell she's very passionate and loves what she does to do. And, uh, yeah, so this is a really good conversation with Alex Sandoval from Vancouver, way of Estella, and now working at Look Rocky Deal. Um, as always, you'll be able to find this podcast on Scout Magazine, our presenting sponsor, uh, on my hosting website, midrangevancouver.com. Um, thank you for listening. Do check it out. Uh, do enjoy this episode, I should say. And uh, yeah, without further ado, I'll present Alex for you. Enjoy. Alex Sandoval, welcome to the podcast today. Uh, thanks for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm great. It's a beautiful day outside. I'm excited yeah. to kind of touch on some things and talk about why we're here. Yeah, well, I don't. I'm actually really excited to talk to you. I actually don't know you at all in any capacity. Um, you've kind of come into my radar over the last week or so. Uh, but I do have an interesting question for you. So your name is Alex Sandoval, but when you send me your email, it says Alexandra Piroska. What's your background? Uh, I'm half Hungarian. Okay. So that comes from my mother's side. And then Sandoval is Hispanic, but like so far down the family lineage that none of us really um, identify as Hispanic in any way. So it's kind of a mishmash of names we've got going on. Is that on the dad's side, I'm assuming? Yeah, it is. <laughs> 
I, I, the only reason I ask is I'm a, I'm a child of kind of having a weird last name. I'm Jamie Ma. My last name is Chinese. And it, mm-hmm. if anybody is curious, I am not Asian in any way. Um, <laughs> but my brothers and sisters are. So my mom's first husband was Chinese. And uh, she, when she got divorced, she just kept the last name. And so I was a total oops accident with my father. And I don't know my dad at all, but uh, I just ended up taking her last name. So I ended up being this uh, honky-tonk white kid from the prairies. Uh, I do have a lot of uh, uh, Cree blood. So I do have a good amount of native, uh, native blood in my, in my background. So maybe that adds to the confusion for some people. But, you know, yeah. they're like, Jamie Ma, what? You know, <laughs> my, brothers, my brothers and sisters like to call me the white Ma, which I think is always really funny. So That's sweet. But I was, I was, uh, yeah, I was, I was kind of curious about that last name. It's, uh, it sounded very kind of Eastern European. So, it's yeah, it's kind of the same thing as you. It's kind of just out of left field. Um, but yeah, Hungarian half, and then a little bit of mismatch on the other half. Yeah, I always say that if I get married and my wife has, uh, you know, a big lineage with her background and her ba- and her last name, and if it's important for her, I would happily happily take her last name or easily make sure that our children take that last name because at least it has some significance so <laughs> sometimes we're not here to talk about last names um so how, exactly. you, how you came on my radar was i thought was really kind of interesting uh a mutual friend of ours jeff coop has started a new series on instagram he's, he's doing this uh, kind of chef story series he asked me to talk about something last week kind of just talking about like any funny story you have in the industry ironically i had nothing i had nothing to say <laughs> i was like all the stories of mine are a little bit too risque for me to kind of do or i'll, and I'll probably get fired from my current job um, and then a couple days later, I had um, a good friend of ours who I had actually on the podcast recently, Brandon Frederick. Um, I had him on two, two episodes ago with his uh, good buddy, Connor Joseph. And uh, we, he actually just emailed me and he said, you know, if, I don't know if you have a lot of people in line who you're looking to interview, but you should check with this girl, Alex Sandoval. And uh, I, he sung your praises like crazy. He said, you're, he's like, I have so much respect for her and I'm so in awe of her capacity and the things that she's done. And in that capacity, I went on your Instagram. I kind of got a little curious. And then I saw that you had posted this feature column that was written in Grub Street. So Grub Street is a kind of, it's based off New York Magazine. Um, and it was this long feature detailing uh, basically uh, almost one year to the date. So it's April 13th. Um, we're recording this a couple of days before that. But talking about your experience working in a restaurant in New York City. And that restaurant was Estella, uh, which was run by uh, a very renowned chef, Ignacio Matos. And so when I read that, and then I read some of your quotes in that experience and kind of what you guys had to deal with closing at the early part of the pandemic, especially in New York City, when it was really heavy handed at that point. Um, I just thought it was really interesting to notice that you are, in, you are from Vancouver and then you had kind of taken kind of the, the lineage of like what every chef wants to do. They want to move to the big city and work on a remote start chef. Um, and then to see your kind of world just kind of crumble in front of you and it doesn't really has nothing to do with you um so i was no. kind of and i don't mean to really have any uh, sad memories <laughs> i hope i'm not doing that for you but i was kind of curious to talk to you about this and kind of especially now it's we're coming up on the one year anniversary and i feel like we're in deja vu again we're in the major parts of a, a third lockdown and uh yeah so thanks for joining me and uh, yeah do you want to relive these moments <laughs> i would love to relive these moments i had like the last year honestly i've had so much time to kind of think about them and process a lot of it um, you know, I, I do remember one of the, one of my quotes in that article is, you know, it would, it felt like, uh, March 15th, that was the night that we got the notice that we'd be done at 10 PM and everything was going to be shut down. Um, and I was working that night and it was just 
we were so packed. I think it was a Sunday night. We did like, I don't know, probably over a hundred covers. Um, I think it was maybe everyone's last hurrah. They kind of already heard about COVID coming in and like what was happening. Um, but it felt like another regular night in New York city, you know, like we were just hammering out, having a good time. And then this notice came down at 10 PM. And I remember, uh, we had finished service by then because we had already reduced our hours at that point because, um, because of COVID and everything that's happening in the city. Um, and it was just sad. Everyone was kind of just got this look on their face after they read the notice coming from, um, who was it? Not de Blasio, but, uh, the governor. And, uh, it was, yeah, Cuomo. Um, yeah. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't cry at that moment, but we went to the bar downstairs after and our old GM was just like working the bar that night at the bar downstairs. And, uh, she poured us all a drink and, you know, it kind of set in and it was really difficult um, to realize like our livelihood. We work in one of the most employable industries in the world. We could go anywhere and do what we do and have success. And at that very moment, that realization that that wasn't the truth anymore was just like cut really unreal because what it actually takes to shut down, you know, the city to shut down the economy, like the way that it did last March, it was, uh, it was a heavy hammer being swung. And I think, uh, that night was not quite how I feel now about COVID, especially with this latest restrictions. Um, but it was just so uncertain, you know, after the 15th, I was back on a flight to Vancouver on the 17th. Um, just because New York has such a huge population, we knew it was going to be hit quite hard. But I had kept my apartment. I had kept everything. I was ready to pay, you know, my, my bills for the next few months. I was like, okay, maybe eight weeks. Eight weeks and we'll be back, you know. Um, but after that was found to be not true and it was just getting worse um you know at that point I had to abandon my apartment uh, I had three other roommates at the time um one was from where was she from Holland and the other one was from Canada as well they both went back to their respective countries and the last girl just moved out to another apartment in Brooklyn but because we had all left the country and we couldn't get back in we like left all of our stuff um, so abandoning your home, abandoning your job, <laughs> you know, it, it was really hard. And then I read these articles later about, you know, all the expats or whatever, who, who left New York city, you know, people who are not native to New York city, who all fled New York during the pandemic. And I'm like, Oh God, part of another problem entirely. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what else to say about that. It's just, it was, it was a tumultuous time between, you know, the first two weeks of March when our hours first started getting cut at the restaurant and then the night where we were actually told no more ind- indefinitely at that point. So. And I mean, like, uh, I mean, I've, I, we, a lot of us in the industry went through this exact same feelings and those kind of ups and downs last year at this time. Um, yeah. And I agree with you that these new 
uh, restrictions here have been a little bit easier to handle because we've been through it before. Um, yeah. But for someone like you, especially, you know, you're living in a different country. Uh, it sounds like you're probably working in your dream job. To give a little bit of context for people out there who are listening, um, Estella was rated one of the top 50 best restaurants in the world at one point. Um, Ignacio Matos was rated Esquire's Best Chef of the Year in 2017. I mean, he has one of the most popular cookbooks out there. They came out in 2018, Estella. Three other restaurants he owned in New York City that were very popular, uh, Cafe Altro Paradiso and Flora Bar. Uh, I mean, he employed over 200 people. I mean, it sounds like you were working kind of like the dream gig. And it sounds like you were the junior Sue. So it sounds like you probably had a pretty prominent role. And uh, to be told that, how long did it take you to get to this point? Like a job like that? How long were you in New York? Was it something that you got? Um, I was in New York for three years total. I spent my first year uh, at Le Cuckoo, which was French fine dining. They also got a Michelin star uh, shortly after I left. Um, and then I spent the last two years with Ignacio and the team at Estella. And we actually got our Michelin star during the time that I was there. Yeah. And so yeah. like to, you know, as a, I'm assuming as a chef, it sounds like you're very uh, driven and, you know, and you sounds like you want to work in the best environments and some, some of the best chefs and the best mentors and uh, to have that rift, ripped away from you in literally two days. Um, I can only imagine how jarring that must be and how um, knowing that you're like, you're leaving your whole life, your livelihood, probably a lot of good friends, people that you might not, you're probably, have you seen, have you, you probably haven't been back at all since you've left, huh? Uh, I have not been back at all. And uh, actually, April last year, I was supposed to go to Jamaica with Ignacio and our chef de cuisine at the time and do a, uh, was it a uh, foundation dinner? So I guess a charity event with the whole Bon Appetit crew. This is kind of before, obviously, Bon Appetit crumbled with all the allegations that came out last year. But for me, it was just like, I... I'm missing this opportunity to network with these people and, you know, getting the exposure that I need so that when I do want to come back to Vancouver, eventually, you know, I do feel like my choice to come back home was taken away from me a little bit and it was forced upon me because I wasn't quite ready to come back here. Um, and uh, the environment that they created Estella was nothing that I'd ever seen. There was a lot of bad habits I had to unlearn when I worked there, but they were so patient with me. And through all the work that I had done on myself, they rewarded me with, you know, promotion or the opportunity to go on this trip, um, to spend that time. And that's something that I don't really see happening a lot here is that investment in people so I think coming back, this is kind of off topic, but coming back, that's something I want to like put more into people is investing my time in people and, um, you know, building, building up a stronger foundation and, you know, going away from the fact that you don't have to break someone down to make them stronger in the way that you want them to be. And I think that's more prevalent for the back of house, maybe than front of house, but um, they showed me a different way to do it. And Ignacio is such a gentle, humble man. And that's also not something you see in our industry, but I know he also had to work on that as well. Um, but I hope like coming back to Vancouver that I can kind of emulate what I experienced there because it was such a different environment for, for, for restaurants. 
And uh, I think I wish I had more time to absorb that. That's really what I'm missing from this is just that my time I felt was cut too short. I do have dual citizenship, so I wasn't, I didn't have the time constraints of the visa. I didn't have um, to worry about like visa lawyers or any of that kind of stuff. Like I had the opportunity to kind of stay for as long as I needed. And I think COVID really just destroyed <laughs> any kind of semblance of, yeah, a life of staying and just learning more about that because I don't know. I think the most unique people I met there just had so much to offer and I wanted to, to continue to gain from that. Whereas here it's like kind of have to forge your own path, I think. Yes, I, I, th- I think that I really kind of admire what you're saying there because I definitely, uh, I mean, I, I, I definitely feel the same sentiments when you're talking about how, um, not only in the restaurant community, but how people uh, in business, it, it's kind of uh, uh, kind of become a prevailing thing, uh, especially in like when you go into corporate culture, um, grind them to the gears, grind them to the gears, and kick them out. I was actually talking to a friend of mine, Josh, about this uh, yesterday. Uh, he works for a software company and how they, they just grind people, grind them, and then they just they punch them all so that they don't have to pay them, and they don't really kind of invest in the talent, and they don't really kind of like foster. Uh, yeah. And uh, when you talk about how you know, it sounds like he wasn't Gordon Ramsay in the kitchen. So. <laughs> no, not while I was there. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good, and it, it. I think that's something that's been really good, and I think that's what's something that's been really kind of uh, transformative about the restaurant culture that I think we we've, we've noticed with a lot of the movements over the last ten years or so with the way people need to be treated and respected and especially with a lot of stuff with the sexual allegations, I think, you know, culture has become a very big foundational thing for people. And I think when you talk about that, how you're saying that it was uh, breaking down bad habits and learning from a, you know, a different style and more, probably more compassionate way of working. I think that's something it's uh, it's good that you see that and that you were wanting to be a part of that and wanted to maybe bring that back here. And, you know, probably I'm assuming that you want to open up your own restaurant one day and and do that. And uh, it just, what I think is really crazy about the situation is that like I wrote a column about four years ago talking about the idea of like um, it's very difficult to ask a chef to work 14 hours a day when you don't really give them the opportunity to have the dreams, the big dream. And uh, for a while there, I think, especially in Vancouver, uh, that kind of big dream idea was gone. And I can see why someone like yourself who did may have had those big dreams work for a big mission star, maybe put yourself in opportunities where you can do stuff with like Bon Appetit or travel the world and really expand your knowledge and your creativity. Um, I, 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 I feel so bad in the sense of that that was kind of ripped away from you, even though I, it sounds like you can go back hopefully once this subsides. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it's crazy. Um, are you originally from Vancouver? I am born and raised in East Vancouver. I am. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's 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 crazy. It sounds like you've processed well. Did you? Um, was it always a dream for you to go do that? To go out there and go to the big city and kind of do that? Was it, or is it just a kind of a? Um, I mean, it's kind of funny. I started my career here in Vancouver at Laboratoire. Um, I trained under Greg McCallum for two years. Um, after that, I ended up moving to Montreal. I actually met someone from New York, <laughs> which is why I kind of ended up moving there. And he made it really easy to get down there. And it was nice to like know someone at first, but I like, I ended up there because it was like, 
this is the center of the universe. New York is like a hub. It has the greatest cocktails, the greatest restaurants, you know, all these big chefs and everything. And I was like, what do I have to lose by trying? You know, I did many different stages or trails as they call them in New York. Um, I spent time at Stone Barns in the city. Um, I spent some time at Wild Air as well. And uh, where else did I go? A few other places, the Nomad, um, while Daniel Hum was still there. Mm-hmm. And uh, even just having the exposure to go stage and spend time and talk to different people from different parts of the world. A lot of them are, you know, from small town USA to Taiwan or Hong Kong or Japan or whatever. People come from all over the world to end up in this city. It's just like, we like to think Vancouver is a world-class city, but when you compare it to somewhere like New York, it, it pales in comparison. There's not even, it's not even close. So I ended up there by way of Montreal, um, where I spent 10 months working for Derek Damon at Maison Public. Um, and it was, I wouldn't say when I started cooking, Michelin was the goal. And certainly while I was in New York, it wasn't either. Both restaurants that I worked at actually got their stars after I'd been there. Um, <laughs> when we found out we got a star at Estella, Nobody in the restaurant knew. Um, the musket room was around the corner from us. They'd held one star for many years at this point. And their general manager came over with a bottle of champagne for us. And we were like, what is this? And they're like, you guys haven't seen the list. Like, you guys got one star. And uh, just the hospitality and the, uh, I don't know, everyone's just so excited for everyone, too, in New York. You know, I think that there's like a lot of um, hating on in Vancouver, maybe, where it's kind of like, well, you work there, like, whatever. But uh, in New York, everywhere I went, people were always genuinely excited for each other, which was really cool, too. So it's interesting when you talk about that. Um, First off, congratulations. It sounds like uh, you're the reason these stars arrived. It sounds like. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Let's give you the credit. I'll I'll give you the credit right now. So that's good. Okay. when you talk about these experiences and this kind of camaraderie and this kind of building each other up, uh, I think Vancouver does have a good amount of that in some ways. Um, but what, what, when you say that you feel like it's a little bit competitive here, or maybe no one's trying to be free. What, what, like, what are you feeling that maybe the city is lacking with that? So do you think it's, we're just a little bit too small and we still need to develop our identity or. Um, I think a little bit of it comes from, I guess, too many, uh, too much of the same thing. I know there's an issue here with, let's say, Italian restaurants. There's a lot of Italian restaurants. And there's a lot of Italian restaurants trying to do a lot of the same thing. Um, I don't know if there's a lot of restaurants doing focused regional Italian cuisine, if, if that really exists here, or if it's just kind of like, let's throw some pasta on a plate. But um I think what we need is a little bit more, maybe not diversity, but um, I don't know. How do you, how would I phrase it? Um, Fuck. Um, Maybe variety or a little bit more. Maybe not so much variety, but I think 
Yeah, maybe I guess it would be variety. Variety enough that we're appreciating our peers for putting out something that isn't run of the mill. So I think a really good experience that I actually had recently, which was my best dining experience I've had since coming back to Vancouver, was at Ugly Dumpling. Um, what Darren is doing in the kitchen is not something that I have seen in Vancouver. It is not something that you're going to find anywhere else. Um, his attention to detail, his use of ingredients, his use of product and just zero waste, basically, um, is really inspiring. But on top of that, the service was phenomenal. Um, I had Mickey touch the table and she, I believe, runs Dashi and and ugly dumpling. He does, yeah. Um, and then our server as well was just like incredibly knowledgeable about the food, could answer anything, um, was well versed on pairings. I mean, I just did by the glass, so that was easy enough. But everything was dropped at the table perfectly. Everything was explained perfectly and for me when the front of house has just as deep of a knowledge about what they're serving as the back of house does that is unique to me because that shows that they care so I think if I saw more of that care in different restaurants and it didn't feel like um a like factory circuit where you're coming in the door they're serving you but they don't really know or care about what's coming in. I think that that can translate also to um, this kind of thing where it's well, it's a little more. It's not. It's not. It's not unique. It's not unique, and it doesn't create an experience. That's what I'm trying to say. Because also, if you are industry. You think these tables, these servers, these restaurants where, you know, they're not interested in who you are. They're not interested in knowing the food. They come in for their paycheck. To me, that's not an environment that I want to be in. But then experiencing like Ugly Dumpling where it was the whole package for me, that was incredible. And they had really nice things to say and I had really nice things to say. And it was just... I don't know. I think that's what the whole dining experience should be. It just shouldn't be this like, I don't know, facade that a lot of restaurants I think put on here that are impersonal. I would love if there was more personal dining, I think. is. It, I mean, obviously in a bigger city like New York City, um, I'm assuming that you probably felt there's probably millions or not millions, I should say, thousands <laughs> of restaurants like Ugly Dumpling in, mm-hmm. Brooklyn, in Brooklyn and Queens and whatever. Um, you must have had a, a lot of those experiences. Do they, when you are dining in experiences like that, do they, do they impact you when you're when you are in the back of the house and what you're cooking and what how you want to translate that? Yeah, to your guests. I mean, of course, when our guests have a great experience, you know, our servers make sure to tell us. You know, they come back to the kitchen. They're like compliments, dumplings, compliments this, compliments that. So it's like they do make sure that there is a translation to the back of house so we know that what we're doing is being appreciated and is going well um but also what's interesting with new york is over you kind of get into a niche um 
community, I suppose, where a lot of these people have worked for each other in the past. Um, and that I found that crossover was really important because they would bring that same level of diligence of getting to know the diners, getting to know um, the menu to each restaurant. So you'd actually kind of see the same um, attention to detail and service at a lot of these restaurants, which I really enjoyed because a lot of them had actually worked together in the past, whether it was cooks coming from different restaurants or front of house managers moving around and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So that also creates um, a really kind of cohesive dining scene, I thought. And because all these people are friends or um, co-workers in some way or, you know, the six degrees of separation, they know each other. Um, that's create that, that for me creates a more attentive dining experience. But then also in New York, you want everyone to have the exact same experience. So even if you don't know who they are, they're still getting the same level of attention. Um, and I think, Oh God, maybe it's our, maybe it's our front of house in Vancouver, you know, maybe there's just not that elevation that we need. I don't know. I don't know because I think a lot of people really care about the food they're doing, but is it being taken past the pass and being articulated in a way that is, you know, co cohesive with what's happening in the back? I don't know. Cause I don't, I don't spend any time out there. <laughs> Yeah, we might get in a fight here. I'm in front of house person, so you know. I know, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I know, I'm kidding. Uh, no, I mean, I think I think a lot of it probably comes down to also talent. I think in a city like New York, you can you probably have more of the people that want to be in the industry and people that are really passionate about it and are going to care. I think you just have more to draw upon. I mean, you're probably right. There's a lot more cookie cutter stuff here. We were definitely are a city swamped by chains. Um, mm -hmm. it's, I think because of a lot of stuff, a lot of factors in the city. It's really expensive to get a restaurant off the ground. It's really risky um, when you spend all that money to take to put on a project that might fail. I always said like right. if I ever do my own restaurant, I would do like kind of like a high end Ukrainian restaurant, kind of Eastern European, because that's my background with my family. And I always thought it'd be kind of like um, something like that would be really cool. But I don't know if Vancouver would really uh, respond well to that because no one's ever done it. And so those risks for a lot of people, even though there's a lot of Italian, I get why they sometimes do it because it's safer and you know, it's going to be accepted and widely appreciated. So I think that's something that comes with a kind of a double-edged sword in the sense that the city still needs to grow and evolve. And I think we'll get there, but uh, I agree with you that um, maybe this is the front of house. Maybe we just need to be better at our jobs. And, um, but there's, there's a question I do have to ask you. So you worked in a one-star mission restaurant and you have obviously done that twice now. What is it like working in an environment like that? That's, it's like, what's it like to work in a restaurant that gets its Michelin star or is it striving for that? What, like, what's, what's the difference between working in something like that and versus maybe it is someone thing? like, what separates that? What is, is it the attention to detail from the, the executive chefs or is it, there's more people in the kitchen? Is it, you guys? It's, like, uh, it's, how, how serious the is pressure, it? it's the pressure about the consistency. Okay. So every guest so basically i guess with the michelin inspectors they come three times a year whatever um but your service needs to be amazing every single time same with the food the food has to be seasoned perfectly every single time the temperature has to be right every single time and uh my job being on the line mostly we had a pretty small team at Estella's, about five cooks each night um sorry four cooks 
one floater. So what we call um, a tourneau here and uh, the chef or the sous chef at the pass. And my job was basically to make sure and taste everything. I'm that person you know, come in your station before something goes up. I got to taste your sauce. I have, have I tasted it five times tonight? Yes. But because this is a, another one going out, it needs to be exactly like the last five. And, uh, you know, people's palates are all completely different. And that was something that we struggled with as well. You know, one guy notoriously, um, under seasoned, he had a much more delicate palate than a lot of us in the kitchen. And, um, we're kind of just there as like buffers to make sure that that consistency is maintained. And uh, I would definitely say like Ignacio, his biggest stress on like his staff was like, it needs to be perfect for every single person. No person is going to get a different experience because you can't season your dish. Right. You know, it's like, they're not, we're not going to let them down because you can't, you know, season this, properly but you have a buffer because there's three other people in the kitchen you can ask to taste it and that communication was like the number one thing which I think is something that lacks and I think that um people just don't taste their food enough I don't know if you watched my video I did with Jeff I was like taste your food it's not always gonna be good but you have to do it you know and it's like I wish I saw more people and you know my one my one regret, I think, at Lavatoire when I was training there when I was younger was that uh, working like an entremet station, I never saw the final dish. You know, I'd put up the garnish, make sure it was seasoned to like what I thought it was supposed to be. But I've never, I never saw the final dish that was played in the past. I never tasted it all together. So um, the way that we got that star and the way that they're going to maintain it is just by that consistency and that like, I on detail and also bugging your coworkers to taste your food because your palate's going to be blown out by the end of the night. But if you ask somebody else who hasn't been tasting the same thing every night, they're going to have a refreshed like critique on it. And I think that that is so important. And that's how, that's how you're going to have a business be successful. It's just like consistency and you don't get that overnight. You don't get that by, I don't know thinking, thinking you're doing the right thing, but not actually following up. And I think following up is the biggest advice that I got from working there was follow up with people. You have to, um, and taste your food. <laughs> Love it. I mean, I've, yeah. <laughs> I've always said this to my best friend, uh, who annoys the shit out of me because when he goes out, it doesn't matter where we go, he won't even try his food. He'll just dump a ton of pepper on it. And I'm like, why don't you try it first before? Like, uh, I'm probably like, yeah, but I love pepper. So sometimes when I'll make him food, if we make something, I'll just like put so much pepper on there that it'll like kind of ruin it for him. And I'm like, cause he'll just want to keep adding more. And it's just like, it's so annoying, but I agree with you. I mean, that is, uh, it sounds very uh, simple, but it definitely it sounds, uh, uh, makes sense, I guess. But what do you like in those situations? Uh, what's it like when stuff goes awry? Are you calm? Are you, freaking out or I mean I can only imagine that I mean I've worked in I've seen kitchens I've worked in lots of I worked in a fine dining restaurant in Toronto for all of our well that's that's what I meant about unlearning habits there were definitely reactions that I was naturally inclined to give in certain circumstances um I'm not gonna lie I have been written up at Estella you know for yelling um 
no one's perfect. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, they they teach you that yes, everything has to be perfect. There are high stakes to this game. You know, every service is to be taken really seriously. Um, but they also like, you want to slow down. You have to slow down because if you're going a hundred percent all day, that's when you make mistakes. That's when you get tired. Um, and like learning to slow down is, was, one of the more frustrating things, I think, because, you know, we're so inclined to go so fast, you know, that rush, that uh, urgency that everything needs to be done now. Um, but that's not true. <laughs> um, and again, communication. Communication is like the biggest thing in situations when things do go wrong, you know as one person you probably aren't going to be able to fix whatever's happening on your own um yeah always ask for help don't I, feel bad about asking for help i think people are still so scared of asking for help in our industry and it's just like even if it's like oh shit my pan caught on fire can you get me some salt it's like don't try and carry that pan across the kitchen it's gonna make things 10 times worse like call a homie they'll come help you out like I've seen it happen and it's just like, what are you doing? It's okay to ask for help guys. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, where I work, I mean, our bar before COVID was to get pretty, pretty crazy. 200 people standing at the bar on a Friday night. Um, wow. yeah. And you just, you, you know, you have to ask for help or you're just going to sink. And I think, uh, it builds better camaraderie and good team, team, team building, which I think is good. And then you can swear at each other later on, which is, it's always fun. Yeah, uh, <laughs> exactly. What's that experience been like for you to come back and to kind of be, was that the first job you went back to when you first came back? No. So when I first came back, I was here for three months while everything was completely locked down. And then I actually got a job in the Okanagan, um, brand new winery. They needed a chef. Um, so I brought my girlfriend from Toronto on and we drove out there and started the food program at Phantom Creek. Uh, which was a great experience, you know, working, working in the restaurant, I had grown such an appreciation for winemaking. And like, I was like, this is the best opportunity to do this. When would I ever be able to take, you know, three, four months off my job and go to a winery and learn about trimming the vineyards or, you know, like winemaking or pressing or fucking whatever, you know? And like, I took my interest for wine and I was actually just applying for, uh, seller, seller work jobs. And, uh, the HR woman at Phantom Creek pulled my resume out. She was like, you're overqualified for this. <laughs> How about, you know, we want to start a restaurant. We want to start a food program. Are you interested in that? I was like, yeah, like I'll come out and check it out and see what's going on. And then ended up spending the summer from June to November doing that, which was super, super cool. It was great. And then um, was able to make some friends in the winemaking community in the Okanagan, which was also super cool. Um, and uh, kind of just like, it was great having an opportunity to expand my interests because outside of cooking, you know, it's, that was another thing during lockdown. It's like, what are my interests and what are my, who am I? <laughs> like, what am I into? And uh, learning about winemaking was like at the top of my list. So I took that leap and spent the summer doing that, which was super cool. 
and the croc has been ever since how's that experience so far yeah it's it's been good it's very different you know i have so much respect for michelle he's been running his restaurant since the 80s it's been 35 years i believe um it's like walking into a time machine you know it's old school he also like talks about how he like has phone calls with daniel balud on the weekend and how um julia child came in in the 80s and had lunch there and all these all these like i don't want to say relics relics is the wrong word but um <laughs> these uh iconic iconic restaurant personalities that he's like you know touched on and spent time with i think it's so cool it's cool to be part of like vancouver history that's what it feels like you know is he still can tell is he still happily he's yeah he's there every day um usually comes in for lunch service and then comes back around six thirty-seven for a couple hours of dinner as well yeah. um do you want to open your own restaurant one day i do <laughs> and i think it's going to be here <laughs> yeah you're not going to go you're not yeah gonna... i think so yeah yeah but do you have an idea i love do you want to keep that yeah i <laughs> no, I'd love to share it. <laughs> as long as nobody steals my idea. <laughs> no, um, I let new ideas in the restaurant industry. No, that never happens. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, I think you'll be safe. Um, I love, I love the family style dining of Joe Beef and Maison Publique and just a comfortable place to dine. You know, it's not stuffy, it's not fine dining, but it's also not Earl's or Cactus Club. Something in between. Yeah. With a dope wine list, a dope cocktail program. Um, and like, again, investing in people who are interested in doing that and curating something uh, different. I think I really like the idea of feeling like you're eating in someone's home but obviously not with like amazing service hopefully <laughs> and i think i think it's so funny that people from vancouver will fly across the country to montreal and seek out these restaurants but yet there's nothing here that is the same kind of like homey but elevated vibe so that's the dream. That's the dream. Curate my own space that I want to hang out in every single day. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll see. I always have so much. I mean, the one thing I always talk about with uh, whenever I talk to chefs, um, I have so much respect for what you guys do. Mostly because you guys just work long hours. Like it's and it's like I'm one of my good friends, Dan Williams, who is actually uh, was a sous chef at Dachi for uh, a year and a half. Uh, he's no longer in restaurants anymore. He's decided to become a carpenter. But he was, uh, uh, for him, it was consistent, like no problem, 12 hour days. It was be at work every day at 12 o'clock and be done by 12, one o'clock every day. And it was just, that was life. And, you know, someone who's worked in front of house, you know, I mean, we, we run long hours sometimes too, nine, 10 hours is not uncommon, but for you guys to work uh, such long hours, and a lot of times you don't get a lot of the kind of, you don't see a lot of the, the credit because you're in the back. You don't get a lot of the, the, the kind of the joy that we see when we see stuff with people. Um, I just... I have so much respect for, it and I, I agree. I think one thing one thing Vancouver probably needs more of is more chef-driven restaurants. Um, we need to build up a lot of our young 
young names like yourselves, um, you know, not to bemoan the, you know, the people like uh, Michelle and stuff like this, uh, and, you know, um, John Bishop and stuff like this, but, you know, we have a lot of great emerging talent and it's, uh, it's really cool that you were able to kind of escape for a bit and sadly come back for not probably the reasons you want to come back, but it's, uh, you've been able to kind of build a lot of talent. Is there anything that you still want to learn? Is there, is there a style of cooking technique or is there a type of cuisine um, you've played with? I don't know. I've been eyeing a couple different restaurants that I think I would like to go spend some time at, not necessarily move there and work, but do some stages and stuff. Um, I'm really into Rustic Canyon right now in LA um, run by, it's one of Jeremy Fox's restaurants and he wrote on vegetables, which is a great cookbook um, focusing obviously on farm, farm fresh vegetables and all that kind of stuff. Um, but Rustic Canyon is like, their motto basically is like how to be simple, how to be simple. And uh, I think taking something like that, I would like to learn more about just to really showcase what's important and to get more kind of a better idea of how you do that. Cause I think sometimes we see a lot of stuff on the plate. And I think that's not really important anymore. Huh. And uh, it's maybe not necessarily a type of cuisine, but it's a style, you know, that simplicity. And I think they do it really well. And I've been admiring their work for a little bit of time now. So I think that would be something I would want to do. Um, what else? I'm trying to think. You know, love to just go to Japan and bring that influence back too. But... I think a lot of people want to go to Japan and a lot of people have gone to Japan. So it's not really anything new, but there is, there is one thing I'll say about Vancouver. We definitely have a, a pretty strong uh, Asian influence here. And uh, I've never oh, yeah. been, I think then uh, it's definitely high on my list of one of the first places I, can, I want to go to um, when I can travel again, uh, which who knows when the hell that's going to happen. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that's pretty cool. Do you, how do you, what are your thoughts on, cause I'm always curious about, uh, I don't get a chance to talk to chefs very often. Um, I've, we've had probably four or five on the podcast since I've been doing this. Um, what are your thoughts on like kind of the ethical, ethical parts of kind of cooking these days when it comes to, especially with like agricultural farming, um, how things are changing when it comes to, you know, um, veganism and vegetarian diets and also just like the rise of, you know, plant-based options and stuff like this. Is that something that as a chef who's, sounds like you're very classically trained, but you have a pretty open mind when it comes to the philosophies that you kind of stand by. Um, are those things that you're more, are more prevalent in kind of your focus when it comes to working in kitchens? Is that something you kind of have to address, have to address a lot more? I, okay. So it kind of depends. I would love if we could just use, you know, local farmers ingredients, support the local economy, do that kind of stuff. Um, but the truth is a lot of restaurants can't afford to do that. So, I'm personally, yes, sustainability is very important, um, sustainable seafood, all that kind of stuff. But the reality is that just a lot of restaurant owners don't have the margins in their budget to spend the money that it's going to cost to get, you know, that hormone-free chicken, that beef that was, you know, they've only, they only kill 10 cows a day or whatever. Um, It's just not realistic and it's very expensive. Mm -hmm. Running a restaurant is expensive enough. 
And if you were to pigeonhole yourself into only using certain products, your menu items would become incredibly expensive. And honestly, people would not eat there. I think that there is a fine balance between um, sourcing, sourcing ethical ingredients, but also you have to balance your checkbook at the same time. So certain products are worse than others, obviously. So I think down the line, I would love to avoid certain things, but also, you know, bass or whatever else is also, you know, there's certain things that you just don't want on your restaurant menu and that's fine. And I think that there's easy ways to avoid that, but I think to only use what's considered ethical is going to drive your business into the ground. And I don't think it's smart and I don't think it's sustainable for you. It yeah. might not be sustainable for the earth, but it's also not sustainable for you. Yeah. So it's, it's, I don't know. I don't have a ton to say on it, but I also like believe that you should maybe try and give your business a chance first, but also do your part and don't use animals that are killing the earth you know don't 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 tell like i don't know anyways other stuff no, like that no, i get it i get it no i was just kind of curious um it's it's definitely been on tip of mind for me something i've written about a lot and uh kind of looked into i mean i i don't work in the back of house i don't do that stuff and i can i can understand you know there's uh there's an interesting part in in that column uh that grub street that by the way i recommend everyone i'll, I'll link that uh the column that you're featured in in grub sheets uh to this episode's notes um, I think I highly recommend everyone read it. it it's really kind of uh, touches on kind of the experience that it was for you guys to go through uh, kind of the early parts of COVID and kind of have to, and you, it talks about the kind of the family part of running a restaurant and, and what it was like to um, kind of see it kind of dissolve. And, and you realize that it just not only affects your, the, the employees' lives, um, but just to how, how I think one thing that we've all kind of taken away from this whole pandemic is the fact that um, people start to realize how important restaurant culture is to our society um, and the people that really build it and develop it. And that's, that's people like yourself. And uh, you know, it's, it's, it's so integral to community and society and it's a, uh, yeah. But then when we, we talk about all those things and then we talk about how restaurants are dying and restaurants are, you know, they're closing and they're never coming back. And then we never want to address a lot of the issues that are systemic in our, in our industry. You know, the fact that it is so hard for a restaurant to get off the ground and it's so hard, but it's so expensive labor costs. But then, you know, we, we know all these things, but then guests are either scared to, that we're either scared to charge what we really think we should charge or guests can afford it or they just don't want to. And so it's just this, this is weird balancing act. And it's, it, yeah, it's really, it's, it can be really difficult and daunting process for people. Um, has it, has COVID changed your outlook on being in this industry? Did you ever consider thinking like, fuck, what am I doing? Maybe I should try to get into something a little stable. <laughs> I know a lot of people who I, uh, who I have, who I know who've worked in the industry have gotten out. Um, and yeah, it's true. My realization was I am not prepared or educated to do anything else. This is what I'm good at. And this is what I have worked so fucking hard for, you know, like I'm not, I thought about it. I was like, Oh my God, should I like go get my ticket in like plumbing or electrician? Like, should I just do like a two year program real quick so I can make some money? Like, no, <laughs> I didn't. But I was like, yeah, there's a realization where you're like, oh shit, 
I am not, I am not, I cannot do anything else. No one's going to hire me for any other job because this is the only, this is the only education I've got. Like it was a weird, it was a weird realization, but I was not committed to leaving. You know, I think everyone had those thoughts during COVID, but, uh, I got those out of my head pretty quick. I think. I, I mean, I, I, um, I'm very much like you in a lot of ways. I mean, this is what I've been doing ever since I was, you know, 16 years old, starting at McDonald's and then working at Earl's and then working in restaurants in Toronto and then coming back here. You know, I've been in the hospitality industry my whole life. I, I love it. I still love being a part of it. I love the culture of it um, more so. And then the people you work with. And then, you know, it's, it, there's nothing better than delivering, like you said, an amazing meal and an, an amazing experience to people. And uh, I love how it brings people together. And yeah, I mean, there's definitely moments where you're like, holy shit, I'm not going to be working for a while. And, you know, like, dipping in my savings and then, you know, and I worked hard for all these things and you, you feel like that's being ripped away from you. And uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy how COVID has kind of brought a, a two sides of the world. There's one side of the world is living their best lives because they're not spending any money and they can work from home. And then there's people like us and, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to be working for a little bit here. So it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. But at the end of the day, we love our jobs and we love what we do. And yeah, it's interesting. I have a lot of friends who just got out, you know, going into architecture school and going to, like you said, wow. and yeah, but I mean, at the end of the day, maybe they just didn't really love it as much as, you know, other people. And so maybe we'll come back stronger in a different way. Um, did you always want to be a cook? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. In uh, my first, like, well, not my first job, but one of my jobs before I got into cooking was uh I worked at the mall I thought I wanted to do like fashion retail something and I was like I'm gonna go to school and I'm gonna learn about fashion and I'm gonna be amazing and then turns out not not the case (laughs) I uh my first like kitchen job was working at Earl's and then that stuck for about four months um and then moved on very quickly to other things but which led up to, you know, working at a laboratory, which I spent a few years. So yeah. it was all worth it, but it clicked. It just clicked for me. I was like, I always had a hard time expressing myself creatively. Um, a lot of my friends are writers, uh, tattoo artists, you know, mixed media artists and uh, picking up a pencil or a paintbrush just never really worked for me. And uh, when I started cooking and it clicked, I was like, oh, shit, this is it. This is my creative outlet. And this is what was meant for me. Um, And in that moment, yeah, I just had that like that moment where when it did click and it was just like fantastic and never looked back since, you know, only only moving forward from there. I love how everyone starts at Earl's. I think it's always fascinating. <laughs> We're from Vancouver, so I don't know where else there is to start when you're when you're a teenager. Who else hires you? <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, I, w- I won't keep you much longer. Uh, when you're not at work, what, what what keeps you active? What do you what do you love to do? Um, I like to drink wine, and I <laughs> like to go for long walks on the street. Um, no, I don't know. Uh, that's that whole thing about finding my identity beyond the restaurant i mean you know when you work 14 12 to 14 hours a day you know your first day of the weekend is just your rest day yeah. and then on your second day it's like okay what am i gonna do um i usually like to cook for my family i like to cook other stuff you know stuff that's you like to cook when you're some, not sometimes sometimes not all the time that's that's a lie yeah 
Yeah. Um, definitely with COVID now, we've been cooking more at home, which is good. But I don't know. On the weekends, I don't know. I guess my identity is just eat, drink, live. <laughs> good life. Sounds like a really good life. So, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's uh, this was good. I, I'm 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 glad that I got to meet you and talk with you today. I think um, it sucks that your life got kind of ripped away from you. Uh, it sounds like you are sounds like it happened to a lot of people i mean it did happen to a lot of people i should say it happened to myself and happened to everyone um but yeah it sounds like you've you've kept a pretty level head with everything and uh you know it's uh i just i i think it's it's really cool i think a lot of chefs out there when they get into the industry especially people once they realize this is something they love to do and they want to do it um always dream of doing those big you know those big moves to the big cities to paris and to london to tokyo and to new york and working under those great people. And I think the fact that you were able to kind of explore those things, I think is really, really cool. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, it sounds like maybe one day you'll, you'll be opening up a great business here in Vancouver. And we'll, be, uh, we'll be better for it. I think. Um, but yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, it's, 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 I hope we get out of this the next, uh, new two months. I think we're going to be up till June at least. Uh, but yeah, Alex, this is great. Thank you so much. Really Thank enjoyed. you. Yeah, totally. And uh, got any other plans for the day? Are you working today or are you off today? Uh, oh, no working. No working. No? Still no working. No, I'm going to go. I'm going to go do some grocery shopping. I'm not asking that question right now. Why am I saying why you want to work? I'm like, you're... <laughs> <laughs> this is me right now. Nobody's working. <laughs> yeah. Some people are working. That's a lie. <laughs> well, Alex, you have a great day. Thank you so much. Thanks.